0: For listening in to the King's Chapel podcast, we hope this message is a blessing to you. Please stay tuned after the message for more information about King's Chapel. If your Bibles will be in Matthew chapter nine, family trade a Schmidley trade um, that I grew up around or in, it would have to be um, the the building of houses. That's my uh, my grandpa was involved in that. My two of my uncles were. We um, built a bunch of houses in, in, other, in places, especially in Mount Vernon. Uh, my, my dad was a bricklayer and did uh, plumbing and heating and air and all kinds of things as in his younger days and growing up. And we'd drive around Mount Vernon, and we would see um, all of these houses. And for me as, as a kid, it was like this, this amazing thing, that like this whole section of houses, this whole development you know, would, would have been built by, by my family. It was, it was kind of a cool deal. Um, but I remember a story that my uncle told, uh, my Uncle Ron. Um, he went on a missions trip with some men from our church to Honduras. And they got there, and they were going to to build a little, a little church, a primitive church of, I don't know if it was going to be concrete or brick or whatever. I mean, something just very, very simple. Um, and this was a man who built, you know, House upon house upon, I mean, just all kinds of houses. So he would tell the story, and I'm sure I'll get some of the details wrong, but the point of the story is, is, we'll get that. So he gets there, and and they're mixing the you know the concrete, and he's got the wheelbarrow or whatever, and they're putting it in, and they're doing it and getting it ready to go. Um, and one of the nationals comes over to him and said, "No, no, 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 no," and 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 shows him, you know, this is how, and they would like you know make this you know, spread it out on the ground or whatever and make it round and put the water in this way. And that, I mean, it would take twice as long, three times as long and then they would go away and and start working and then he would start doing it his way that he knew was faster and better and he'd start doing it and then one of the nationals would see, no, 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 no and they'd show him get the the hoe and the and the shovel and they would show him how to do it and and you know, you you think to yourself if they only knew how many houses this man has built. If they only knew how many times he had done this, they wouldn't be going over to him showing him how to do it, they would be asking him, you know, teach us how to, to do things, you know, better or more effectively. But, you know, they couldn't see past that in their culture. And sometimes we have those, those communication breakdowns where we know that there is something that we would like to tell someone, something that we would like them for them to know. Have you ever had this happen? And you're just, you're talking and you're talking and you're talking and you're explaining it as best as you can, and you realize that for whatever reason, you're just not, you're not connecting. They're not hearing what you're saying. You're not not making a connection. And it's extremely frustrating. Today we're going to see an account where the people looking at Jesus from the outside are not understanding what he's doing. They're not understanding what he's saying. They're not understanding what his kingdom is all about. Because they know how this thing is supposed to work. So Matthew chapter 9... We'll pick up at verse number 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. So we'll stop right there for a second. If you remember the context, here's what's going on. Jesus had just finished a meal, probably at Matthew's house, with all kinds of tax collectors and sinners and unsavory people to the, to the religious leaders. These were not religious people. This was not a religious thing. This was Jesus having a meal, having a feast with sinners. And so the religious people that are looking on are looking at this feasting and saying, Why aren't you fasting? Why do you feast instead of fast? I almost wonder if maybe this feast occurred on one of the typical days that um, that the disciples of John or that the Pharisees would have fasted. They had two days usually every week that they would fast, and I wonder if maybe this fast or this feast with Matthew took place on one of these days where the, the where the holy people, the religious people, it was assumed that it would be a fast day. And here is Jesus having a feast. Maybe, maybe not, but I think it could happen. So the, the disciples of John and the Pharisees see Jesus feasting with them, and they say, "What? Well, why don't you fast? Everybody else fasts. We go without food. Why is it that you are not fasting? Now verse number 15. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days are coming when the bridegroom is taken away, and then... They will fast. So the point that Jesus is making here, if you trace it throughout the Old Testament, and when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we looked at this in detail with fasting, that you look at the Old Testament with fasting, it usually had to do with mourning and with humility. It was it was a time to deny yourself. And Jesus is pointing out to the, the, to the disciples of John and to the Pharisees that, while the bridegroom, while the Messiah, while Jesus is there on earth, it is no time for mourning. It is no time for sorrow. It is time for celebration and for rejoicing. I mean, just imagine if, if you had a friend that was getting married and you showed up, for the for the wedding party and you came to um, the reception or came to the rehearsal dinner and you didn't eat because you were fasting. And everybody else is having a good time and you're and you sat in the corner, you know, with ashes on your head and your sackcloth and sat in the corner because you were mourning. It would make no sense. Right. It just, you know, stop fasting for a day and, and join the party. This is a celebration. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm here. I'm here in your midst. This is a time for celebration. If you look in context with the previous passage that we saw last week, he is is saving, he's forgiving sinners. He's he's mending broken people. This is not a time to mourn. This is a time to celebrate. And he tells the, the disciples of John and the Pharisees that the day will come when he will be taken from them, and then that will be an appropriate time for fasting. We live in a world right now where there are times that we mourn, And we fast and we humble ourselves. And Jesus said that that day we'll we'll come back. And we as Christians, we do fast. But the fasting was not happening while Jesus was there. It was a time for feasting. And the disciples of John and the Pharisees didn't get it. Because they had their box that said, this is how we do Judaism. This is how we do religion. This is how you do it. You fast, you give this, you wear your tassels, you do, you, know, you you know follow all of these rules. This is how you do it. Now, as we go through this text, and today is almost, it's going to be a little bit different than normal. It's almost going to be more like like a Bible study or a Sunday school uh, type of feel than, than a sermon. Here's what we're going to do as you are maturing in your walk with god and your understanding of scripture and reading it there's there's something that you should begin to think about and think in terms of is that before you apply a scripture to your life or to a contemporary situation you first have to read it and understand it on its own terms you have to first read it and say okay what was jesus saying here how did the his disciples understand it? How did the disciples of John understand it? How did the Pharisees understand it? What was he communicating? What was the point here? And only after you grasp that point do you then make the leap into application. Do you say, okay, so now that I've gotten this, how does this apply to my life? And people make mistakes with application all the time. The famous preacher joke is that Somebody got out the Bible and wanted God to speak to them, and so they just said, "God, I'm gonna I'm just gonna open up my Bible and put my finger down, and whatever whatever verse that that you know I look at, put my finger at, that's that's your word to me." And so they flipped through the Bible and put their finger down, and it said, "And Judas went and hanged himself." And they're like, "That can't be it." Flipping around somewhere else, came back, point, go and do likewise. <laughs> That's, that's not how we read Scripture. We don't just, you know, pick things out. And we have to make sure that when we apply things, obviously, you know, the, the account with, uh, with Judas is not supposed to be instructive to us. It doesn't teach us how we're supposed to respond when we sin. It's, it's, so you have to get the application right. So we are going to intentionally look at the story see exactly what Jesus is teaching and saying and what's going on, we are going to withhold application. Because really the challenge with this passage is how do we apply it to our lives? So Jesus tells them that nobody, the, the, the friends of the bridegroom, they don't fast when the when the bridegroom is there. But when he is taken away, they will fast. So now he gives two different pictures. Verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wine skins. If it, if it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. So it gives two pictures here. The first one would have been of of a torn garment. In their day, clothing would have been extremely expensive, very expensive. You didn't just you know wear something and get to tear and throw it away like we do. I mean, back in their day, if, if you wanted to have a shirt, what was step one? Yeah, go feed the sheep. Right. Uh, feed the sheep, take care of the sheep, grow the sheep, um, shear the sheep, spin the yarn. I mean, this was this was not a quick deal. So if you got a little tear or a hole, you patched it. And so the idea here is unshrunk is a good, it's a pretty good translation but the idea is maybe you know unconditioned something that hasn't been shrunk hasn't been treated that was in a different state so if you if you sew this piece of cloth onto a tear and then it shrinks afterwards you've got a problem and he says neither do you put new wine into old, wine skins. Now, we'll throw a couple of pictures up here of wine skins. But what that was is that when they were making wine, they would tread out the grapes. And you've seen that in movies or whatever where they stomp on the grapes. And, and it would be in the vat. And and the grapes would have this natural yeast on them that would begin to, to ferment the wine. And what they would do then is they would put the wine in these, um, these wine skins, these leather pouches that they had made. And as it would ferment over time, these would grow old. The leather would grow brittle. And you could use a wineskin pretty much once, and then it was over. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament um, about you know, this, these bands coming in and pretending like they had, had come from a long way, and they had these old, you know, brittle or dried bread, moldy bread, and these old wineskins. And so you couldn't use a wineskin more, more than once. Usually it was the way that it works. You put new wine into new wineskins. If not, they're both destroyed. Middle of verse 17. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins so that both are preserved. New wine is put into fresh wineskins so that both are preserved. What is Jesus saying here? Let's back up and let's think about it again in context. What's going on? He had just had a meal With sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, unsavory people. And the religious people, the religious Jews, looked at that and could not accept what Jesus was doing. They were critical. Jesus, why aren't you fellowshipping with us? Why aren't you doing things our way? Why aren't you doing things the way that Moses passed down to us? Why aren't you, why aren't you living in the traditions that our fathers have, have put around the law? Why aren't you living this way? Why are you associating with people that you shouldn't associate with? Jesus, why have you called among for your disciples tax collectors and fishermen and other Ordinary people. Because here's what Jesus was going to find in his ministry. The people that you would have thought would have accepted his ministry. The people that you would have thought that would have been so close to the kingdom of God. The religious people, the religious Jews, for the most part, rejected him. For the most part, they couldn't get past in their minds, we're supposed to fast, we're supposed to do this, we're, this is how you're supposed to do it. And Jesus, you're doing it wrong. And so fresh wine, new wine, went into new wineskins. The message of the kingdom was received by people who really weren't that religious to start with. If you'll notice there, the ESV does a good job Um But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Some of the translations will say, but new wine is put into new wineskins. It's actually two different words in the Greek, two different words for new. New and fresh is really pretty good. It's it's the idea not just of new, but of even renewed or reconditioned. Where you see this word for fresh the most in Scripture, the book that it gets the most, is in the book of Revelation. There's a new heaven. And there's a new earth, and the God is doing a new thing, and God is restoring and, and doing this. So when you see, you look at people like Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, who was a part of the of the Jesus people. He had to have a renewed heart. So the new wine had to go into fresh wine skins, either either brand new people or people who God had had changed their hearts. And made them receptive to the message of the kingdom. But by and large, the religious people were not going to receive what Jesus was saying. If you look at Luke's account of this, Luke has these same, same accounts all in order. The healing of the paralytic, um, and, the, and the calling of Matthew, and, and this account here, all, all the same together. But he adds one line at the very end. This is Luke chapter 5. Verse 39, and Luke adds this at the end, quoting of Jesus. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. So what what exactly does that mean? You could read that in a lot of ways. Here's, Here's the point Jesus is making, is that the religious leaders of their day had gotten used to the old wine, they liked the old wine. They were comfortable with the old wine. Their father had had the old wine. His father had had the old wine. I've had the old wine my whole life. This is this is how I like to live. This is people respect me for living this way. This is a good thing. And Jesus is saying that, that once someone has gotten a taste for the old, it's hard to have a taste for the new. Once these religious leaders, once these disciples of, of John and, and the Pharisees, and these weren't these weren't bad people. But once they had gotten a taste for the old ways and the old systems, it was going to be very hard for them to make the transition into the new. They were going to be perfectly happy, perfectly okay with the old wine. And we see over and over and over throughout Scripture, there were the religious people, the old wine people of Judaism, rejected Jesus. They couldn't... They couldn't fathom why you wouldn't fast. They couldn't fathom why you would you would go through the, the grain field on the Sabbath and, and, and get some grain to eat. They couldn't fathom why you would why you would heal somebody on the Sabbath. Can't we just wait till the next day? They couldn't fathom any of this stuff. And so Jesus poured out his ministry into new wineskins, into people who were sinners, people who were far from God, and they received. And they received with joy the new wine, and the new wineskins. So this is what Matthew was saying, and we're going to begin to see this rift happen between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day, which will ultimately lead to his crucifixion. And that's the point that Matthew and in all the synoptics that they're making in this passage, that the ministry of Jesus is going to be poured into Not the disciples of John or the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes or the people that you thought would have received it. The ministry of Jesus is going to be received by prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and people who wanted nothing to do with God. And they're going to receive it with joy and be changed. That's what's going to happen. So, what does that then mean for us today? How do we apply it? There are a couple of challenges with applying this. First of all, the Pharisees and the disciples of John weren't bad people, so to speak. It's not like when you get into the early church and you see, you see uh, the Apostle Paul calling out, you know, Alexander the metal worker did me great harm. May the Lord repay him for what he's done. This is not what's going on. These are, these are not necessarily bad people they're just people who can't see Jesus for who he is because they can't get past their preconceived notions of what it is to be a religious person, to be a follower of God. They can't they just they're just are blinders on. They just can't see it. Another challenge that we have in our day with applying this is that we see from scripture that there that there is both a continuity and a discontinuity between the old And the new. And here's, let me explain What i am give you one example. That there are some things that, in some ways, there is one line that goes from Adam all the way through the Old Testament and continues into Jesus. And then in some ways, when Jesus came, he changed everything. So for instance, you know, you read all of these things in the Old Testament about animal sacrifices. There is continuity between the old and the new, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That That continues to this day. The discontinuity is that we no longer sacrifice animals, but we look at the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf. So there are ways in which which the kingdom continues forward in the same vein, and there are ways that that the kingdom, when Jesus came, it changed. And so we have to understand as we look at this, understand that there is both continuity and discontinuity between the old and the new. And the challenge that we face in our day is that Jesus was going to make, and and his disciples were eventually going to make a, a clean break with the synagogue and with Judaism. That was going to happen. And the Jews were going to be left behind really as a separate religion, in a sense. And so when Jesus is dealing here with these people and Matthew is looking back and he's recording this. There's, there's, there's kind of this, this break that has happened. In our day, when we look around and we see religious people in our day, most of who we see are religious Christians. We live here in the United States. Most people who are religious are Christians. So we have to be careful not to look at this and say, and to make this a cultural thing or an age thing, that, you know, well, you know, there's people in, in that age who... Who that they're the old wine and the in the old wine skins and we're the new wine and the new wine skins and what happens in churches is if you start applying that scripture in that way it divides churches and that's not at all what Jesus intended by his words to divide churches and so we can't look around at fellow believers and think to ourselves oh well that person is old wine and old wine skins and if God is going to do something new he's going to do it in new wine skins that's I don't think that's a fair application of the scripture. The point of the church is to be unified, to be together. So what exactly was then going on? I think it's important for us to understand, first of all, that there are things in scripture that are required and there are other things that are a matter of conscience, that there are things that that was there any problem with the disciples of John and the Pharisees fasting twice a week? No. The early church continued to fast. We continue to fast till this day. There was no problem with fasting. The problem was is when they took a tradition, when they took a rule, a preference, and made it absolutely a requirement. Let me give you three little mental buckets to put things in. Hopefully this will help. There are things that are biblical. There are things that are wisdom. And then there are things that are preference. Biblical is right or wrong. This is right This is or wrong. This is what Scripture says. When you look at things and say, is this biblical or not biblical, you're asking, is it right or wrong? The middle section is wisdom. That's not right or wrong. That's good or better. Which of these things are good or better? It's not an issue of sin. And then finally, preference is really between good and good. And we have to be able to evaluate things based on which bucket they're in and not become Bogged down by things that are not scriptural. For instance, I'm a part of a of like a little forum of pastors on on this Facebook group, and there was this uh, thread going recently that had to do with church government. Aren't you glad you're not a pastor in these pastoral threads? I mean, had to do with church government. And this guy, who was is pretty re- well respected within the group, um, he he chimed in because um, somebody was saying that they did their church did something a certain way, and he chimed in that that was that was unbiblical the way they did it. And I look and I read it, and I looked at what the guy was saying, and I'm like, okay, this isn't a, isn't a biblical thing. When you look at church government, there's not a lot of of direct. Commands or instructions or teaching in church government. We have some principles, we have some officers and some people, but other than that, church government is not really a biblical thing. There's not like a biblical model as we understand it, and and not. So I'm like, okay, if I hope this guy means when he says it's not biblical, I hope what he really means is it's not wise, because what this other person is advocating is not against scripture. I wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Most people on the forum were saying, that's a bad idea. But what was going on with the Pharisees and the disciples as of John is they were taking something of wisdom, or maybe even preference, and putting it into the biblical bucket. And saying, what do you mean you're not fasting? And we have to be careful as we now apply this to us, that we don't get religious blinders in front of us where we take the things that we have done either out of wisdom or out of preference and put them in the requirement category, the biblical category. Biblical wisdom preference let me give let me give kind of a silly example here of those three. It is absolutely biblical to eat Andes. It is absolutely biblical you look at it no one can say to you it's a sin if you eat Andes the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof partake with Thanksgiving right don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat to so be received with Thanksgiving you get your you get your blackberry concrete right blackberry concrete thank you Lord and it is not a sin. You can't look at somebody and say, that Andes is a sin, praise God. Now, if you step into the wisdom bucket, maybe you should get the small. And maybe you should go once a week, right? And not twice a day. that's, that's That's the wisdom bucket. And then if you go over to the preference bucket... You know, maybe blackberry concrete's not your thing. I apologize if that's what where you are because you're missing out on the absolute best. But see, if I make my you know blackberry concrete the thing that you have to eat if you are going to be a true Andy's eater, that's a preference thing. That's a preference thing. And we put on our religious blinders. We become, in a way, similar to the Pharisees and the disciples of John. When our religious blinders cause us to see preferences or things of wisdom as things that are biblical or issues of right and wrong. That's what happens. Paul gives us a good example. Turn over with me to Colossians chapter 2, and this is where we'll end. We're not going to break down this verse in detail. I just want you to get the feel of what's going on in Colossians 2. Because they're facing this issue this issue of asceticism, this issue of if I, that, that what I do with my body is how I, how I interact with God in a, a spiritual way. So we're not going to look at it in detail, but just get the big picture. Therefore, this is verse 16, 216. let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath, these are shadow or a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sinuous mind and not holding fast to the head for whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why then do you live as if you are alive in this world? Do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that, that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. So now look at verse 23. These things indeed, these these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There's an issue going on at the Church of Colossae where it's like, well, you've got to, you got to follow these rules. You you know you can only eat and drink certain things. You you need to do these new these new moon festivals. You need to do these. You need to you need to follow all of these. And, and Paul is saying they're totally missing it. They're majoring on the minors. They're taking things that are that are, are preference or wisdom, and they're making them dogmatic, and that turns it into asceticism. These things look they have the appearance of wisdom but really have no value in changing a heart. When Jesus is giving this account about the religious leaders, the disciples of John and the Pharisees, he's not talking to people who are believers. That's why we have to be careful in how we apply it. He's not, it's not a, this is not a passage about believers. This is a passage about unbelieving religious people who look like they believe and them having a hard time seeing Jesus, understanding His message, and saying yes to Him. And so unless you're here this morning, and, and maybe we have some, but unless you're here this morning and you, are, you have a facade of religion and you're really an unbeliever, if that's the case for you, Jesus loves you and He's here for you this morning. But if you're a believer... This verse doesn't in a way directly apply to you. But the principles of becoming dogmatic in issues of preference and wisdom does apply to us. So let us be people who understand the difference between what is biblical, between what is wisdom, and between what is preference. Let us not heap on one another things weights that we have to carry jesus said of the pharisees you, you travel over land and sea to create a single disciple and when you when you win one you you make him twice the son of hell as you are you you heap on them this weight that even your fathers couldn't bear let us be people who enjoy the freedom that we have in the son who don't heap on one another needless rules and regulations which are not biblical. And let us be people who not just fast and have humility, but celebrate our King and the life that He has given us. Thanks again for checking out this week's message. If you are interested in finding out more about King's Chapel, please visit our website at kingschapel.church. There, you can find service times and more ways to connect with us. You can also follow us on social media at King's Chapel SGF. We look forward to seeing you soon.